welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Morning once again. Wanted to welcome everyone to Amazing Love. Wanted to welcome all those who are watching online for us. And um, who doesn't love fall? Fall's a good thing. Um, but what else is going on at this time of year is a uh, presidential race. And <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone saw the presidential debate. There's a new sermon series we're coming up to next week or uh, the week's following called Election Infection. Don't miss that sermon series. It's going to be a great one. Anyway, um, but after, uh, after the debates, uh, one of the articles that really struck me was entitled, Why America Needs the Virtues of Humility. <laughs> The article went into how other former leaders like George Washington were known for their humility. Uh, consider when he was um, told to be the commander of the Continental Army, uh, this is what he said when he had that honor. He said, I declare with the utmost sincerity, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with. George Washington. People like Abraham Lincoln, known for humility. Martin Luther King Jr., that social reformer. Um, when he was in jail in Birmingham, this is what he said. He said, if I have said anything in this letter that overstates the truth or indicates an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me. These leaders of old were willing to say, I may not know it all. <laughs> I may get it wrong. In fact, sometimes I don't even feel uh, able for the task, but, but I just want you to know that um, about myself. This resonates with me. I don't know about you. This resonates with me. Because I, I went to a leadership conference. It was called the Global Leadership Summit. And when I was there, and I was like, I want to be a leader someday. Come on, let's go. And, and straight out the gate, this is what Bill Hybels said. This was like his opening lines. Uh, as you got to this leadership network, he said, the highest value of a leader is humility. If you are armed with enough humility, you can learn from anyone. And humility is an awesome thing. Humility is hard to recognize in others. In fact, I was, I was thinking about how you could recognize in others. You probably wouldn't even know that they were humble if they were truly humble. You would just know how into you they were. How much they listened to you. How much they encouraged you. How into you again they were. Because if you boil down humility, this is what I believe it says. If humility could speak, it says, first you, then me. First let me see, what do you have to say? What do you want? What do you need? That's what I want to do because first humility says you go first and, and if, if we get time for it, you know, then, then, then we'll discuss me. And how many don't want more humility in this world? Raise your hand if you would just love to see humility in the world. Anyone just have this desire? I, I was at the gym and this guy just ranted like, everyone's so vapid. Everyone's so into themselves. Everyone's just, they don't really care when they ask me because we desire this first me than you, but it, it's rare. Isn't it true when we raise our hands, like, I want it in my boss, don't I? Humility thing. Want it in everyone else in the family, right? Yeah. Want it from everyone else at church, but, but I don't always want it for me. <laughs> See, humility is easy to head nod for others, isn't it? It's easy, oh yeah, we need humility. But, but, but when we talk about ourselves, when we, when we navel gaze on ourselves, the, the, the reality is this is really hard. The reality is this is really hard because... Um, 
It doesn't come natural. I had another conversation at the gym with the police officer. And I have total respect for the, I think that's a hard job. And he's just, you know, kind of telling some stories and what he has to deal with on a regular, you know, day-to-day basis. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot to sort out. And, and, and I just told him, you know, I'm a pastor and I actually think I know why the problem is. Because spiritually, we're all rebels. Do you know that? <laughs> you have to deal with all the rebels. Because spiritually speaking, um, we were created as natural-born rebels. That's what we call the sinful nature. Okay? And so what comes naturally and what makes us rebellious, it, it all centers from a heart of pride. Pride is what we're born with. You don't teach a toddler to say, mine, mine, mine. They know how to say that. <laughs> they scream and they bellyache and they do all sorts of things because it is all about me. <laughs> right? Pride comes naturally. And you know what pride says? First me, then me again. <laughs> I don't, I don't think pride ever gets around to you. <laughs> I think just pride is over and over me and me, and more of me would be better for everyone. <laughs> now, we're in this, this discussion of relationships called the space between us. That's the sermon series we're in, if you're just catching up. And, and the idea, again, is that we're going to hurt people and they're going to hurt us, and so it doesn't matter with the relationship. It's, it could be with your mama. Um, you're going to have space there at one point or another. And, and, and what we need to do to answer this space is the directives of God's Word. But what I want to say about pride, and, and I'm going to use a really big word, is that I believe pride exacerbates space. It's my big word for today. I went to college four years after that. Sorry. Exacerbates just means it makes it worse. You thought there was space before? Yeah, if you're, you got a prideful person in the situation, it's going to get bigger. It's going to get worse. It's going to get nastier. It's going to get more. It's going to get heated. It's going to just be bad, right? Pride just makes everything worse. And, and maybe you know that in a relationship with someone else. What's interesting, and, and welcome if you're not a Christian, by the way. We're so glad you're here. Kick the tires of the church. Welcome if you're just visiting. But, but if you're a spiritual person, what's interesting about pride is that it actually sets us up against God. It actually gets in the way of what I think is the most important relationship. Look at this passage from the James. This was the brother of Jesus who said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It's basically if you want to you know, go against God, just be full of pride. If you want to set yourself up against God. I was reading a little bit of C.S. Lewis. And uh, C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer, and he said that pride is basically an anti-God state. An anti-God state. He, he, here's his quote. He says, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all of that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads us to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. I'll sing him another illustration of what pride does. Here it is. Um, I have two balloons for you. I'm going to use my tuba background to blow into the balloons. Let's say this represents someone who is smart. Let's say it's someone who is beautiful. Let's say it's someone who has money. Let's say it's something that you want to be. You know what pride does? It's not good enough. Pride has to always be bigger. See, pride doesn't care how much wisdom you have, how much money you have, how talented you are. Pride says, I just got to be bigger and I got to do whatever it takes to show I'm better than my brother, show I'm better than the neighbor, show I got more than the employee, you know, I got to do whatever it takes to set myself apart. Pride will always just, and doesn't even care. As long as you can see me, I don't even care if they see this other one, because pride is not just concerned about being good, it's, a, it's about better. 
It's about more. It's about that I stand on top and everyone knows there's no top dog like the top dog in me. So, what do we do? We should do that. But how? Because the path forward is humility. And we already, we, we haven't argued. Humility is a great thing. We, that's, that's not even a quibble. That's, you know, that's just a common truth. Humility would make everything better. Our relationship with others, our relationship with God. I heard Andy Stanley speak on humility recently. I love this pastor. He said, humility is always the way forward because humility makes you bigger, which is ironic because so many times when we humble ourselves, we think we're going to be less. It's not true, though, is it? You meet someone who's humble, it actually makes you bigger. Humility always makes you wiser. It says, I have something to learn. Humility makes you open to new information. So we're on a humility quest today. Are you ready? Is that going to be easy work or hard work? What do you think? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. You ready to do some hard work and leave better for it? So we have two goals for today. Our goal is, number one, how do we gain godly humility, the godly humility God desires? And number two, what are extensions of humility in our lives? That's where we're going today. All right? With that, let's turn to the Word of God. The Word of God is our, our guidance and is our inspiration, tells us where to go. And, and as we turn to Romans 12, I actually have uh, the passage on the screen for us. So we're going to do this a little bit differently today. Instead of reading everything all at once, uh, we're going to read them as they come up in the sermon. So the first passage I wanted to explore with you from God's Word is this one from Romans 12. It's not in your worship folder, so look here. It says, and this is Paul, he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Like that balloon, right? But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. Now, I want to talk about this. And to do that, I wanted to bring up uh, this man. He's named Vaughn Miller. A little bit about Vaughn Miller. He was the Super Bowl-winning MVP for the Denver Broncos. Now, do you think he's tempted to be filled with pride right now? A little bit of hubris as the MVP of the Super Bowl? I think so. And he was on Dancing with the Stars. I mean, does it get better than that? I mean, who doesn't want a crystal ball that looks... Then never mind. Um, and so he's at the top right now. And, um, and what's interesting, I saw this special with him of how he says he stays grounded, how he doesn't let the, the success get to his head. And what he does is he hangs around with his, his high school teammates and friends. A lot of his teammates were in the NFL as well. And, and, and they recall, you know, certain things about him, like the glasses, the glasses thing. Like, glasses are cool now. They weren't when he was in grade school and playing football. In fact, I love this quote by Von Miller. He says, you remember Rex some, some know what we're talking about. Horace Grant, yeah, we know him. Rex Specs, I would strap them on the top of my helmet to keep my glasses in place, motocross style. This was Von Miller. That's, that's a good look, right? Von Miller is affectionately known as, by his friends as a nerd. They'll, they'll be walking around, and Von Miller out of nowhere will just talk about the top 10 exotic, extinct animals. You know, so you're just walking and he just brings up the dodo bird, you know, and so he's just known as the nerd. Before they watch football, they'll turn on National Geographic because this is just who Von Miller is. So, so what grounds Von Miller is that when he hangs out with his friends, like, dude, you're just a nerd, you're the same guy, I don't care about that Super Bowl thing. Do you have anyone who grounds you like this? Anyone you can't put on airs with, they just cut straight through all that, right? I, I have a good relationship with my brother, and, and I, can't, I can't pretend with my brother. <laughs> like, he knows who I was, you know, who I is, and who I want to be. So, like, there's no, like, trying to impress him. There's no airs. It's just, mm, right? What's interesting is that God says, what happened with Von Miller, what happens with me, you got to do that for yourself, Okay? 
that's the hard work we're going to do today. You've got to ground yourself out today and see who you really are through the lens of what God sees about you. And I have a grounding exercise. And, and I've got to be honest, it's brutal, okay? But it has to ground us. Here is the brutal grounding exercise. It is just one question. How much sin is in your past? And is there anything you wouldn't want others to know? It's brutal, isn't it? How much is in your past? Is there any information you wouldn't want anyone else to know? I do this exercise and it's a lot. And there's many. And I come to the end of it and I say this, um, I'm not sure there's a worse person than who Dustin Bloomer is. Because I know the totality of my life. I know everything that has gone on. While in others, all I see is just a few things. While in others, all they have done is just a few things that I can remember. But for me, I know everything. I know every misdeed, every thought, every, every way my heart went astray, I know it all. And at the end of the day, I end where Luther ended. Martin Luther came to the end of this exercise and he said, you will never find as much sin in another person as you will find in yourself. If with sober honesty you did that exercise and you look back and you didn't let anything go and you're thinking about your thoughts and you're thinking about your heart and you're thinking about your true desires, not what you had done, then you have to, I believe, say as well, the most evil person I have to deal with is me. More Luther. Luther will ground you. <laughs> you read Luther. Look at this quote from Luther. I, why do we pour lumps of clay, we worms, stench, and filth? At this point, I want to invite all of our visitors to amazing love. <laughs> no, no, you came to hear that you were filth and stench. Um, <laughs> Luther will ground you. Anyway, um, we'll get to better stuff. Anyway, why do we want to boast before him who is the God and the creator of heaven and earth? We are still mere clay and nothing in his eyes with the exception, with the exception, with the exception of what his grace and his mercy will let us have and be. I come to the end of the exercise and this is the first thing I say in sober reflection. I can't say I'm better than anyone. You know what I'm talking about? So I just want to say, hey, I'm, I'm Pastor Dustin Bloom. I just want you to know I'm not better than you. Pastor Dustin Bloom, not better than you. Hey, I'm Pastor. I'm not any better than you. And when we're real with our sin, we have to go there. We can't walk on airs with anyone. I just have to say, I'm Pastor. I'm not better than you. But we didn't come here just to look at ourselves through the lens of sin. We came here to look through ourselves through the lens of God's love. And this is really what I want to get to because right now, if you just stay here, you're going to end in despair. Despair is not where God wants you. It isn't. Despair is not the goal for today. Godly humility is. And so you got to balance this grounding exercise out with some new information. And, and I came to tell you, does anyone know what it's like to waver your opinion based on someone else's view of you? You waver your self-worth based on someone else's view of you. I remember growing up, and, and, and maybe you had a crush when you were growing up, and if that crush ever gave you attention, they ever wrote a note back, they ever gave you the time of day, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm something else, right, you know? Where if that crush blew you off, you're like, woe is me. No one likes me. I shouldn't even come to school, right? Or maybe you're an adult now, and it's like your boss, and the boss is like, that was a great project, well done, you hit, hit it out of the ballpark, you nailed it, you crushed it, you're doing awesome. It's like, yeah, I am something else, aren't I? Yeah. Whereas they bring you in and they have a different discussion, oh my goodness. Head hang low. 
Well, I was in this parenting webinar this past week, and I was just, I just thinking how much as parents, we, we are driven by the opinion of others. You, you think I'm a good parent? <laughs> Maybe I am. <laughs> I did pretty good on the meal, didn't I? Yeah, oh yeah, kids are good. Whereas if they don't, or if they disagree with our parenting methods, or they look down on us, it's so easy to be like, oh my goodness. Wasn't even intended, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> we so often waver based on the view of someone else. My good pastor today, go home, watch the game with joy. Someone didn't like it. Oh my goodness. Can't even turn on. I don't want to watch turn on the game. <laughs> this will never lead to the godly humility that God desires. If our view of ourselves is based on someone else's view of us, or if it's even based on the view that we held for ourselves, it is never going to get the job done. And, and the Apostle Paul, he was a leader in letting us know this lie. Look at what Paul said. He said, I care very little if I'm judged by you. Care very little if I'm judged by you. In, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not going to let your view of me define me. I'm not going to let my view of me define me. The only thing that matters is that in the end, it is the Lord who judges me. There will be one view that matters, and there is only one view that matters, and it is the Lord. And so what I permit to you today to get some joy, to get some godly humility is this, accept only God's view of you. And the Lord who judges us, the Lord who looked at your past and saw every misdeed, even the ones you don't know about, he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus dies on a cross. And he sheds blood that we call more precious than gold, more precious than silver, more precious than diamonds, more precious than everything on the stock market right now. He dies and his blood washes us clean so that when it comes to our track record, he sees none of that hurled into the depths of the sea. And now you need to know God's declaration on your life because he looks at you Right now, today, through faith, he looks at you and he says, precious. He says, priceless. He says, paid for. He looks at you and he says, planned on, predestined, purposed. He looks at you and he says, beautiful, bride, beloved, belonging. He looks at you, he says, forgiven, fought for, found, set free. He looks at you, he says, crafted, Created, and yes, my child, that is the only view that matters. And maybe we should just end the day, walk out today, just saying, I'm a child of God. That's all I needed to hear, and I'm good to go whether my boss likes me or not, whether my spouse likes me or not, whether my kids like me or not. I'm good because God, the only voice that matters in the end, says, you're beloved, you're precious, you're my child. And so I say from the standpoint of God, I'm no better than you, but guess what? I'm not less than you either. Not an iota. I'm not less than anyone in this world. I don't care if you're the CEO. I don't care if you're on Forbes' list of the most powerful people. I am not less than you because of what my God has said to me. So no, I'm not better, but I'm not an iota yet. Less. <laughs> and this is what godly humility is all about. So I invite you in.
If you receive this message and you want to declare this over your life, I invite you to have this declaration of godly humility. I'll say it first, and then if, if you'd like to, you can join in with me and just declare uh, what we've learned. And, and it goes like this. I will not think of myself more highly than I ought. Because of my sins, I had to be bought. But bought I was and now set free. And God's view as love child is now all that defines me. You ready to try it? For all who are willing. I will not think of myself more highly than I ought. Because of my sins, I had to be bought. But bought I was, and now set free. And God's view as love child is now all that defines me. Declare this over your life every day. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what people think about you. I don't care if you're the popular kid at school or not. You are all you need to be through Jesus. I can set the world free. You know what it else might do? It might, it might enable us to walk out humility. So let's talk a little bit about humility and its various applications. One application is found in verse 10. Now I'm going to invite you to go to verse 10. We're in the same chapter. And, and, and uh, one of the, the, the passages says, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, the first point is going to hit you like a ton of bricks because I believe that an extension of humility is submission. <laughs> now, there's the word. <laughs> You're very welcome to talk about submission today. I know it's everyone's favorite. Submission has such an awful connotation. Can we be honest? It reminds me of playing Mercy or Uncle as a child. You know, when you get to the end of Uncle or Mercy, you know, play that game, you know, and it's like, ah, I'm submitting, right? But, but I believe... <clears throat> Regardless of all the bad connotations you may have had, there is power in this word, and that's what I want to talk about. I had an experience recently. I, um, I shopped with my wife at Aldi. I'm a big fan of Aldi. You need a quarter, you need to buy your own bags, but I love Aldi. And um, even though Aldi has many great things, uh, like their natural peanut butter, which is awesome, fantastic, and uh, has many good things, even out of organic selections, what it does not have is an express lane. And so what this means is that it doesn't matter if you have two things or a cart full of things, you are in the same line as everyone else. So what I find to do, because I usually have my cart full, is um, I look for the people who have just a few things. And I look for them and I try to make their day. I try to say, no, no, I don't have to go. Why don't you go ahead? And it's amazing what this does. Like, even if it's like the crabby, you know, person, you know, who looks mean. Um, it, it, it will, if you do that, it will soften them up. And it's amazing how it even like starts a conversation and we get to know each other and where do you live and how many kids? Awesome, very good. And, and it's amazing if, if you do this thing and you just yield yourself and say, oh, you can go. The power that that has. In fact, it happened to me. I had just a couple items at Aldi and someone with a cart full did that for me and I'm like, wow, this feels pretty nice. I like it. Well, well that is the power of submission. It's this idea that I'm going to yield what I need. I'm going to yield what I want. It's, it's really living out first you and then me. Now, we have opportunities to practice this. We do. We do. If you're, again, at Aldi, you can do it, but you do this in friendships. And friendships is your practice field. You know, because if you can't solve what you want to do on the weekend, that's not a good friendship. Or if you get in an argument over chilies or buffalo wild wings and where to go, I mean, you should really learn to yield on issues like that, okay? So, so friendship is the practice field. Do you want to know where game time happens for submission? The family. <laughs> Paul wrote a whole chapter about family life and what it should look like. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Check it out on the Bible. Read your Bibles. And when Paul opened that chapter up about what a family should look like, here was his opening statement. He said, submit. Who? Everyone. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who is called to submit in a family? Everyone is supposed to say, I'm going to stop, yield for you because your, your needs, your wants are going to be more important. Children, teenagers, I know this is hard. You might have different ideas than your parents do. But what you need to do at the end of the day, even if you have a conversation, is say, I'm going to submit to you, Mom. I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to you because I know you love me and this is what God has for me. What, what can I do, Mom? I'm going to tell you what I think, but what do you have for me? Now, wives, if you grew up in the church, you've heard this word before. And the analogy God gives is just that of the church that follows Jesus. And so you're going to submit and say, how can I best serve my husband and my kids? And how can it be best for the family? How can I yield so that it happens overall? What, what isn't always discussed is, though, though, though dads, men, I love that men are here today, and I'm not trying to put a dichotomy on anyone, but do you know you have the toughest job? In God's analogy, the women are the church. You're Jesus. <laughs> you know how far Jesus went in submission? He said, if it, if it costs my life, I'll yield to that. Men, yeah, you're ahead. You're a godly order of things, and you are to show what it is like to say your needs come first. I'm going to lay myself down. I'm going to listen to you so that our family might be blessed. If you go back today in your family, and everyone lives this out just for themselves. Rather than, don't you know what pastor said you to do? If everyone lives this out, would our, would our families be a little bit better? I think so. I think so. But there's more to humility. Let's look now at verse 13. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And so what I found is that an extension of humility is hospitality. In fact, I had a chance to go over to someone's house and you ever been struck by the power of hospitality? And I went to this house and, and they offered me something to drink, you know, and I got some water and, and they had some bread all made and I could tell they were expecting me because it was like banana bread and some carrot stuff chocolate in it and that's great and I'm like and I just have this thought like I'm not more special than you but you're sure treating me that way and that is having an effect on my life like I don't need any of this but like wow thank you very much whoa 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 because what is hospitality doing it is basically living out and saying no what do you, what do you need uh, how is your day? Um, how, how can I care for you? How, how can I be there for you? And, and, and maybe you're, you're like me who's freaked out about hosting people sometimes. You ever do that? Like, ah, they're coming, you know. And maybe you just got to get in your mind that it is okay if they see that you don't clean the best. And it is okay if they don't like your style or that, that couch that like, should have been thrown out like years ago, right? You know? and, and it is okay that you have that because at the end of the day, hosting someone is about first you and then, then, then me. Well, what do you need? Do you, do you want some water? Do you want something to drink? I just, I just want to know what's going on in your life. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful way to play out this thing called humility. I know some great hosts among us, some great ones who carry this out. Keep it up. What else is humility? Let's look at the next verse. It says, verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Now, when it says be willing to associate with people of low position, I think that should be hung over every high school cafeteria. <laughs> right? If you're ever in high school, you know like, that's like, like terrifying. 
all the groups and the people and the thoughts and the cool and the and you get all these things. And that's why it's so powerful when people actually do what this passage says. This is such a powerful passage that we picked up out of it in the news. Did you, did you hear this story? Did anyone know this story? Does anyone know what's behind this picture? Florida State wide receiver Travis Rudolph goes to a middle school. He sees Bo Paskey, who is uh, a kid sitting all by himself. Maybe you've been there. We've all, I think we all had an experience like that. And Bo, and, and Bo gets the, 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 the honor of a lifetime where Travis again just says, I'm going to sit by the one who's all alone. I'm going to be willing to associate myself with you who's all alone. You who everyone else has a partner, but you don't. Is this not a powerful thing when it's done? You know, I had a, I had a father whose shoulders I stand on as a, as a kid. And he's a father who I have respect on and, and love in the Lord. Not a perfect father, but I got to tell you, I had a chance to see this lived out every day. See, the household I grew up in, he was a missionary to El Paso, Texas. And El Paso, Texas is, is a group of many different subcultures, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of people with money, without money. But this is what I saw every day in my dad. He didn't care how much money you made. He didn't care what your skin color was. He didn't care your story. All he cared about was what you needed. You need some help? You need to hear about Jesus? Guess what? I got time for you. He's the same dad who's in Orlando, Florida as a missionary who doesn't care whether you're homeless, whether you're the CEO, but lives out what it is to say, I don't care the difference we have between us. You need help? You got mine. Now what if, what if our country took this mentality to look at every person individually and say, I don't care your skin color. I don't care your socioeconomic status. I don't care your age. I don't care your gender. I'm just going to look at you straight in the face and say, guess what? I believe that the price Jesus paid for me was the same price he paid for you. Now what do you need? This is a powerful torch to carry in this world. To go forward. And I believe this place could be a beacon for it. We could be a lighthouse of people who come in and say, I don't care your skin color. I don't care your background. I don't care for the reasons people say I have to hate you or that I might have against you. I'm just going to look you in the face and say, Jesus paid the same price he did for you as he did for me. Now, how can we help you? This is powerful. But I want to close on one last thought. Verse 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, is anyone else here a people pleaser? I grew up in a people pleasing household. Like, we are like bloomers equal people please. And if there was like a life verse for like people pleasers, like, this is it, right? You do what's right in everyone's eyes. Hey, how are you? How are you? How are you? You know, I just change it like more of like, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to people please, right? You know? And what, what I found though as I grew up is that this is really hard to do. In fact, I believe it's an impossibility because have you ever been a part of an organization or a family where it was impossible to please everyone? You know what I'm talking about? At one point or another, and that's what like just struck me in the face. God, you're telling me to do something I cannot do. I can't do what is right in everyone's eyes. Well, then I did my Greek study. And Greek is amazing because Greek gives you the nuance, the, the flavor of it. And as I looked at the Greek, it didn't say to do. It just said consider. Consider. And that made a ton of sense to me. It said, it said uh, think beforehand what is good for all people. That was the translation that, that I came up with. Just think about what might be good. And that set me free a little bit as a people pleaser. Because as a pastor, I can't go away and I didn't make anyone happy today. But I can consider what might make them happy. And I can consider what might be good for all people. And you can do the same. 
And wouldn't it be true that this would again answer some of the space? Maybe it'd eliminate the space from happening. If before we do and before we say, we just would think, is this good for everyone? Is this course of action not just about me, but about other people? Man, humility when played out could be life-changing. Use it. Do it. Remember how God views you so that in humility you're not groveling. You're not saying, woe is me, I'm nothing. Just from your heart, no, you're not better, but you're not any less. And use humility to change the world. Let me pray for you. We close with prayer. Heavenly Father, humility was authored, it was created by your Son, Jesus Christ, who, though fully God, humbled himself to bear our cross. Knowing how loved we are by you through that cross and knowing your desire for us is to be like him, help us to show true humility that it may overcome the space that so often divides us from one another. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.